Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. This program is presented weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Go to our website, christ-life.org. At the end of the broadcast, we will be telling you how you can start your very own In Christ Church in the Home Gathering. It's really a great thing. Right now, though, we're going back to Warren Litzman and a conference he was holding in South Africa years ago. We've been taking excerpts from it each week. It's very powerful, and we're happy to bring you another one this week. Here's Warren. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3. The last words of Scripture that we dealt with in this chapter had to do with faith. And I want to return to that because the next verses are going to be important to the issue of faith. The apostle would say in verse 9 that Christ, the righteousness of God, which is by faith, comes about because he has no righteousness of his own, but that which is through the faith of Christ. I think you need to mark that in your Bible because that's such an important point. I'm going to give you some scriptures. Just jot them down quickly, if you will. Romans, Romans 3 and 22. Galatians 2 and 16 and 20. Galatians 3 and 22. Philippians 3 and 9. These are some of the verses where Paul stresses the faith of the Son of God in the believer. Once you get a hold of that, it makes all the difference in the world in you facing issues, crises, sickness, death, whatever it is. You can face it when you know that another has the faith you don't have. That you were really not supposed to have because you're living another life and that life is a life of faith. As we go into the next verse, verse 9, or verse 10, we're ready for verse 10, we're going to see what the faith of the Son of God does in a human being. If you can ever change your mind from you being somebody by what you believe to being somebody in whom you believe, you will have entered the greatness of the Christian life. The greatness of the Christian life is not so much what we believe and how we believe as it is in whom we believe. It is a radical change in the issue of faith. Most of us have spent our lifetime trying to get enough faith. In bookstores, you'll find that the second or third best-selling book in every bookstore deals with faith. Men trying to tell us how to get faith. I wrote some of those books myself years ago. I hope you don't get any of them either. (laughs) But once you have changed your mind, the excellency of knowledge allows you to change your mind that as an offspring of God, with His nature in you and the person of Christ, Christ in you, then the load is His, not yours. 
All you ever do when you get faith is put the load on Him anyhow. But you feel better about it because you did some works. You always feel good when you do your own works, you know. Most works of which the Lord doesn't put on record anyhow. But when you do these things of your own self just to feel better, you've done a lot of hard work because He who is your life could have handled that. He would have handled that through you if He had a mind. So you want to always remember the Christ in you has no mind but yours. He will do no more than your mind can handle, than you know. Aside from this term Paul uses, the excellency of knowledge, the Christ in you can do nothing. That's what the excellency of knowledge is, is Him being the life. It's Paul saying, the life I live is Christ. Or it's Paul saying, Christ liveth in me. These are not just figurative speeches. These are words from one who had the excellency of knowledge. He knew that Christ lived in him. He was the one that was living. That's why Paul could say, it doesn't matter whether I live or die. That's why Paul could say, I'd rather go be with the Lord, but because of your need, I'll stay here. What is that? That's the excellency of knowledge. He now has turned his life around to be a Christian. He thinks a different way. Not his faith at all. It's the faith of the Son of God. See, that's what theologians couldn't handle. They couldn't couldn't handle that because they didn't see the in Christ message. And they didn't see the in Christ message because that destroys law. And you can't destroy law among most theologians because they don't have anything else. You have law when you don't have anything else. Now, Paul has come to this issue of faith. And in verse 9, he says that what he really wants is to be found in him. He never wants to be outside of him. In verse 10, he starts by saying, I want to know him. I may, that I may know him. Now, why does he say that I may know him? It's because he has the faith of the Son of God. Paul is no fool. God is not either in this regard. He knows that it isn't in a created human being to do and to be everything that pleases Him. It isn't in us. We do our dead level best, that is, till we are dead. But it isn't in us to do it. It isn't in you to do it. It's not in you to please God. You do it because you have the deep root of the law in you, and when you keep that law, you think that's right. That's, I'm doing everything just right. Just where I ought to be. So it's, it's the law we were all brought up under, beginning with Moses' law. Ten commandments. The Torah. 640 little bitty laws. Plus, when you got in a church somewhere, they had 45 others. And if you change churches, you're really bogged down. There's no end to it, you see. 
Because human beings that don't know Christ lives in them must have law to feel good about themselves. They have to do something within themselves to be somebody. I must tell you that there's a place you come to where you don't have to do one blessed thing to be somebody. You are somebody. You were birthed by the God of heaven. He put His sperm in you to create another being rebirthed. You in that being, you don't have to do anything to be that. You are that. It's just that we don't have a gospel in the world today to go with that. And yet the gospel is plainly printed. It's in here. It's in 14 of Paul's epistles because he's the only one that knew this. Plainly written. What we should have been. How we should have lived. But instead, many of us got hooked up with more law. If you get enough faith, if you do what is right, you'll be able to perform miracles. Great. I had the miracle worker living in me, but I was doing my dead level best to get a hold of him out here somewhere. <clears throat> That's been our lifestyle. We've had Christ wrapped up in the sacraments. We've had him wrapped up in our baptisms. We've had him wrapped up in our ministries. All the time he lived in us. Just didn't know him. We didn't know that Jesus. So when Paul writes a line like this in the 10th verse, that I may know Him, there is a wealth and a depth of understanding behind it. And I sense it sometimes when I read. I sense what this, this man is talking about here. He has Christ in him. And he's trying to reiterate this to others. And when he says that I may know Him... A lot of my law friends come along with that verse of Scripture and they say, Oh, that just goes to show you Paul didn't really know the Lord. His trouble is, he wasn't genuinely saved. He was saved one day and lost it the next day and had to get it back the next day. He was a constant repentant person. No, that isn't what he's talking about. He's talking about a depth we don't even see. He's talking from the depth of another that lives in him. That's his life. He's talking about Christ. And he's alluding to the fact that this Christ could be in him and he not know him. If somebody come along and ask you, do you know Christ? Your immediate response will be, oh yeah, I got saved one day. I know Jesus. I don't know Him at all. Because that's not the Christ that's in Paul's Gospel. That's why three times Paul called this his Gospel. Because he knew it was different. He knew Jesus had given it only to him. Jesus told him, I'm giving it only to you to give to others. He called it my gospel. It was significant. You can have this Christ in you and not know it. Somebody said to me one time, well, that's impossible. You can't have 
Christ in you not know it. Well, I said, most people who get pregnant don't know it right off. See? I'm pregnant with Jesus. The seed's been put in me. I could go a long time in this pregnancy and not even know it. That's the difference between spirit pregnancy and natural pregnancy. He says that I may know Him. Now, you know what else is behind that statement? He's saying, I don't know who I am until I know Him. You can't know who you are till you know Christ. That's simple. If Christ lives in you, and if that's what God attributes being you, and if God has made Him to be your faith, your righteousness, your life, your all, and that's the way He deals with you is on that level, Christ in you, and you don't know it, you don't know that, Look at all the prayers you pray you get no answer to because God must scratch His head and say, they have no idea what they're talking about. That's not the way I see them. They don't have any idea what's going on. They don't know that I placed my Son in them. I birthed Jesus in them. They don't know it. I'm sure God gets angry at that point. What in the world do I need to do to these people? He got angry with Israel all the time. You know. He'd perform one miracle after another for Israel, and she never would straighten up. Just for a little while, she loved miracles like people do today. But not God. So when he said that I may know him, he's talking about a relationship based on the fact that another is in him as his life and that he is a carrier of that life and he is the manifester of that life. He has responsibility. And if I don't know this one that's in me, I don't know me. What did he do in the previous verses? Everything that made him who he was. He said, I suffered the loss of for the excellency of this knowledge. What does that make a Christian? I find good Christians everywhere I go, people who really love God, and some who love His Son in them. But most Christians I see haven't the slightest idea about how their life must end. I no longer live, and Christ live in me. So when he said that I may know him, he's digging deep. He's saying I've already suffered the loss of everything I was. I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody without him. If I don't know him, I'm nothing. If Christ is not my life, I'm nothing. If Christ is not my life, God has no connection to me. You can have Christ in you and God have no connection with you. And you know what you do? You pick up all the paraphernalia of religion and try to get a connection. You go somewhere 
where you feel good. A lot of people becoming uh, Jews because uh, Israel, Israelites because there's a whole lot of stuff you can do to be an Israelite in the Old Testament. They don't even know Jesus lives in them. That's the way humans are. They want to do something to be somebody because they don't know who they are. So what the average Christian does, he becomes an actor. Doesn't know who he is. I've dealt with plenty of people. Back when I was in uh, psychological work, Christian counseling, I'd find so many people who'd say, I just don't know who I am. I'd look at it and say, praise God, that's the most wonderful thing that ever happened to you. But they were taking a whole sock full of pills Try to find out who they were. They didn't know who they were. I would have said, that's good. You're at the starting place of life. Why? Because there's another that lives in us. And if we don't trust Him to be our life, if we don't give our mind to this Christ in us, then we're a nothing. We're a nobody. That's another story, but Paul deals with that in another place too. So we act it out. What do we do? We act out. We try to live like Jesus. Nothing irritates me more when I hear somebody say, I'm, I'm going to be Christ-like. Because that's impossible. God has no plan for you being Christ-like. He has a plan for Christ being your life. See, that's different. That's like saying, I'm going to try to act like I'm alive. <laughs> That'd be good for some people in the flesh. So he said a mouthful when he says that I may know him. I don't know him. I've got to learn him now. That I suffered the loss of everything I am. I've got to learn Him. I've got to get out of business with this thing. I've got to learn this Jesus that God placed in me as my gift of life. Eternal life. Well, let's look at this a little closer here if we could. There are at least three things he says is going to determine his knowledge of Christ in him. Three things. Look at the verse. I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and be made conformable unto his death. Three points he brings up. Now, you talk about digging deep into a knowledge. These three points go deep. I don't know that any of us would want to, ever want to do it quite like this. We like one of those points. That's resurrection. That gets us out of here. But let's look at all three of them. First, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Do you realize that the in Christ message that started in the Garden of Gethsemane when we went into His body, 
We went into his crucifixion with him. We were in the grave with him, buried with him, resurrected with him, all with him. Paul says, now if this happens, I'd like to know something about this resurrection. That's a powerful thing, Paul says. Getting out of the grave, rising up to meet the Lord in the air with a new body. I'd like to know about this resurrection. Because it has ethically already happened to me. It's already happened. When he came out of the grave, I came out of the grave with him. So Paul knew something that's been hard for us to grasp. It is that nothing happens to us that was not in Christ. Nothing. When Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, that happens to us. His death on the cross is our death. We are with Him in the crucifixion, not just a, an idea. We were actually there with Him. The whole human race was. He took care of sin totally, completely on the cross. So He says, I was with Him in that resurrection. But He said, I don't know that. That's something I'd like to know. The power of His resurrection is my resurrection. I don't think I ever heard of a believer that was praying about that, talking about it. We're going to all have a resurrection. Every last one of us is going to have a resurrection. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. In Christ. In Christ. The dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we which are raiding are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. There's going to be a rapture. See, this knowledge that Paul has takes him all the way to a rapture. He doesn't argue with Daniel. He doesn't argue with John the Revelator or anybody. He says we're going to all be raptured. Isn't it funny how people argue over things a lifetime that don't mean a thing? If they just follow Paul, they'd get it all settled. Because he is the one that lives the life of Christ as a human. So the resurrection morning is going to bring about a new body, just, just like it was with Jesus. And people are always uh, discussing this. We have a lot of discussions at our place down in Dallas. And we got on this discussion the other day, uh, what are we going to be? On the resurrection morning, what are we going to look like? And this is not very important, but I thought I'd pass it on to you anyhow. You're probably going to look like just like you are, except with a perfect body. See, and those of you that was hoping you would look more beautiful won't. <laughs> because the rest of us are going to have eyes that don't see the same. 
we wouldn't see it if we knew it, because we're in a new body too. But it's going to be the same body. And we'll see that in the next two things Paul mentions here especially, but it comes to me that that's a part of resurrection. Because when I get up to the Father's house, I'm going to know you like I have known you. They'll be known as they are known. Isn't that interesting? So I'll know you no hair doctor there. Wouldn't be heaven without knowing you. And another blessed thing, all my enemies will be there and the enemy spirit will be gone. Isn't that good? See, I don't have any enemies that are not so-called Christians, so they'll all be there. Resurrection. He wanted to know the Lord in this way. This was important to him. Actually, he lived in a, in a day when the gospel of Jesus Christ was just coming alive and all the believers wondered what happened to their loved ones. So Paul has a lot to say about death and resurrection. But Paul said, if it's already happened to me, I want to know about it. I want to know the power of his resurrection. We'll pause right here, but pick up next week, right where we left off from this great conference with Warren Litzman years ago in South Africa. Right now, though, we'd like to invite you to go to our website, christ-life.org, and click on the fellowship tag up at the top of the page. Then that'll take you to a page where you can learn how to start your own Christ Life Meetings in Your Home. It's really a wonderful thing, and it will help us grow this message around the world, this In Christ message. Go there, read about how to do it, and we will supply the tools of different works of Warren Litzman for you to use. Check it out, christ-life.org. Click on the Fellowship tab at the top of the page and then read all about it. Also, don't forget to click on the Bookstore tab, and you can find all of these wonderful messages in book form or video or tape from Warren at christ-life.org. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast reports. And the program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.